3. I was brought up in a committedly atheistic household as the son of two secular Jews who placed religious beliefs somewhere on a par with an attachment to Santa Claus. I recall my father reducing my sister to tears in an attempt to dislodge her modestly held notion that a reclusive god might dwell somewhere in the universe. She was eight years old at the time. If any members of their social circle were discovered to harbour clandestine religious sentiments, my parents would start to regard them with the sort of pity more commonly reserved for those diagnosed with a degenerative disease and could from then on never be persuaded to take them seriously again. Though I was powerfully swayed by my parents' attitudes, in my mid-twenties I underwent a crisis of faithlessness. My feelings of doubt had their origins in listening to Bach's cantatas, were further developed in the presence of certain Bellini Madonnas, and became overwhelming with an introduction to Zen architecture. However, it was not until my father had been dead for several years, and buried under a Hebrew headstone in a Jewish cemetery in Wilsdon, northwest London, because he had, intriguingly, omitted to make more secular arrangements, that I began to face up to the full scale of my ambivalence regarding the doctrinaire principles in which I had been inculcated in childhood. I never wavered in my certainty that God did not exist. I was simply liberated by the thought that there might be a way to engage with religion without having to subscribe to its supernatural content, a way, to put it in more abstract terms, to think about fathers without upsetting my respectful memory of my own father. I recognised that my continuing resistance to theories of an afterlife, or of heavenly residence, was no justification for giving up on the music, buildings, prayers, rituals, feasts, shrines, pilgrimages, communal meals, and illuminated manuscripts of the faiths. Secular society has been unfairly impoverished by the loss of an array of practices and themes which atheists typically find it impossible to live with because they seem too closely associated with, to quote Nietzsche's useful phrase, the bad odours of religion. We have grown frightened of the word morality. We bridle at the thought of hearing a sermon. We flee from the idea that art should be uplifting or have an ethical mission. We don't go on pilgrimages. We can't build temples. We have no mechanisms for expressing gratitude. The notion of reading a self-help book has become absurd to the high-minded. We resist mental exercises. Strangers rarely sing together. We are presented with an unpleasant choice between either committing to peculiar concepts about immaterial deities or letting go entirely of a host of consoling, subtle, or just charming rituals for which we struggle to find equivalents in secular society. In giving up on so much, we have allowed religion to claim as its exclusive dominion areas of experience which should rightly belong to all mankind and which we should feel unembarrassed about reappropriating for the secular realm. Early Christianity was itself highly adept at appropriating the good ideas of others, aggressively subsuming countless pagan practices which modern atheists now tend to avoid in the mistaken belief that they are indelibly Christian. The new faith took over celebrations of midwinter and repackaged them as Christmas. It absorbed the Epicurean ideal of living together in a philosophical community and turned it into what we now know as monasticism.
and in the ruined cities of the old Roman Empire it blithely inserted itself into the empty shells of temples once devoted to pagan heroes and themes. The challenge facing atheists is how to reverse the process of religious colonization, how to separate ideas and rituals from the religious institutions which have laid claim to them but don't truly own them. For instance, much of what is best about Christmas is entirely unrelated to the story of the birth of Christ. It revolves around themes of community, festivity and renewal which predate the context in which they were cast over the centuries by Christianity. Our soul-related needs are ready to be freed of the particular tint given to them by religions, even if it is, paradoxically, the study of religions which often holds the key to their rediscovery and rearticulation. What follows is an attempt to read the faiths, primarily Christianity, and to a lesser extent Judaism and Buddhism, in the hope of gleaning insights which might be of use within secular life, particularly in relation...